What is good, NBA fans? Uh, welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. I am your host, Matt Nost. And, uh, you know, there's been a break in the action for the All-Star game. And uh, usually it's a quiet time. And I prepared a show. And then uh, Myers Leonard went off the rails. Uh, for those that don't know, and uh, you're not caught up on the NBA gossip, um, Myers Leonard is <clears throat> a big gamer. He has uh, endorsement deals with uh, a PC company that he's got a specialty PC build. And he's got uh, uh, you know streaming service that he's aligned with. And he's got product deals on top of that for the, you know, for his streaming. And he was playing Call of Duty and what happens if you've ever played Call of Duty, which I've played a tremendous amount, every once and again, someone drops a racial slur and uh good old Myers Leonard did. Um, so I won't say what the word was, but it was anti-Semitic and it starts with a K. I think you could put it together from there exactly what he said. Um, so he released a statement about it. And this is from Myers Leonard himself. He says, I am deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream yesterday. While I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance of its history and how offensive it is to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse. And I was just wrong. Now, does anybody in the world think that he didn't know what that word was or what it meant? I mean, this is one of the more bullshit excuses I've heard uh, in a while. Like, I had, I had no idea that that word was offensive to, to Jewish people. Uh, someone... John in the chat, what word did he say? Anti-Semitic starts with a K. Uh, I dropped that on a live stream playing Call of Duty. Uh, I, think, I think he damn well knew what exactly he was saying. The best is, so I saw someone on Twitter uh, point out that if you watch the video, he takes a beat before he drops it. And the guy was like, you can, it looks like he's just going through his Rolodex on what thing to call the other player and settled on that. And it just, now when you watch it through that prism, you're like, yeah, it really does feel like he went through and was like, what about this? Nah, that's, I know that's offensive. What about this? Uh, I'm pretty sure I can't say that. And then settles on just, I mean, just brutal, just brutal. And he goes on to say on this, I am now more aware of its meaning. Oh, pardon me. Um, am, I am now more aware of its meaning, and I'm committed to properly seeking out people who can help educate me about this type of hate and how we can fight it. I acknowledge uh, and own my mistake, and there's no running from something like this that is so hurtful to someone else. This is not a proper re representation of who I am, and I want to apologize to the Arisons, my teammates, coaches, front office, and everyone associated with the Miami Heat organization, to, to my family, to our loyal fans, and to others in the Jewish community who I have hurt. I promise to do better, and I know my further actions will be more powerful than my use of this word. Um, you know. I'm surprised he didn't go the Papa John route. Like I I'm working towards get, getting this out of my vocabulary 
maybe he'd go to the same trainer trainers or facilities, get the same education that good old Papa did. Uh, <laughs> it's just, I mean, just full on. And by taking the beat in between saying it, there is no, it's clear as day. He full on says it. Uh, and just like, wow, Myers, how did you not see this coming? Like, I, I realize, you know, you're caught up in the moment type of thing. Uh, but at the same time, you know that people are watching live. You've built up this reputation. You're an NBA player. So you already have a higher profile than the average gamer. And uh, <laughs> there's really just no excuse. I just love that. You know, I didn't. I had no idea. I'm pretty sure you did. I'm pretty sure you did. Um, so good luck to My Myers and his, uh, I don't know, his Mia Culpator. I, I'm curious as to how long the heat will keep him away from the team. Like what's the proper amount of time that he needs to take before he's allowed back on the court without everybody. I mean, that first game, they're going to be talking about it. The announcers will be talking about it. Um, Ramon Cook says, when caught up in the moment, I usually go for generic curse words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the worst I've ever heard, so I used to play Call of Duty all the time with uh, one of my buddies. And this, so he's black and this dude was playing against, this didn't know that, but was pissed off because he wasn't good at the game. So we kept picking him off. You know, it was something like in Nuketown. We used to play Call of Duty all the time. Um, and you heard more in-bombs being dropped eventually. So much so that the two of us have never reported somebody. But it's like, dude, this is this is above and beyond. Um, you need to have someone talk to you about this because this is too much. Uh, you know, the anonymity of it. It's like, it, I've heard him dropped before. I've heard all kinds of racial slurs playing Call of Duty dropped. But when it's just a repeated string of them, you're like, this is this is too much. Um, but for somebody like Myers Leonard, it's like, come on, man. You gotta you can't <clears throat> you can't be this stupid, this naive to not realize that your words are gonna carry this kind of weight. It was, I mean, but I can't wait to see that first game back. Just I would love to be in the office if there's any Jewish people that work there and just the look on his face and theirs of like, you son of a bitch. It's like, oh, hey, hey, you, how are you? Ah, oh, I brought bagels. You're like, oh, I think that's making it worse, Myers. Oh, it's got locks. No, man, you're not helping this situation. Um. So John said he was trying to say something hurtful and he went for it. The soldiers in real life say way worse. Maybe he was just in character. Now his brother, he's got at least one brother in the armed services. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there is some, some credence to what you're saying there, but, uh, at the same time, uh, this isn't real war. So I think if there aren't bullets flying past you, you don't really get a pass on this one. Just saying. So, um, good luck to Myers. I can't wait to see the Apology Tour 21 uh, as he goes around the league. It's gonna be it's gonna be a spectacle to watch, and uh, you know, yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, let's move on to the All Star Game. 
Uh, underwhelming as a whole. I think once Team LeBron was up by so much and they reveal, oh, you got to get to 170, the game was toast. So it didn't really matter. I mean, so much so that that Dame and Curry turned it into a who can make the longest three to close this game out type of situation. Um, they were just overmatched and outgunned. And for those curious, uh, I got smoked by Tripoli in, uh, in drafting teams. I had the two highest scoring guys, but then I had LeBron who chose not to play. That's smart. He's an old man. You know, he needs to look towards championships, not all-star games. And uh, Luca, who just was kind of out there, he played way more minutes than you would think and didn't really have much of an impact. Jokic didn't really touch the ball. Like I had a bunch of guys that, uh, that seemed to want to pass and support and jump around. I mean, I had Giannis and Lillard, but then after that he had Tatum and Brown and Beal and everybody else that was putting up 15 to 20. I had the two 30 point guys, but I got smoked just straight up smoked. Uh, what are you going to do? Um, I mean, but the game was, you know, after, LeBron's team won the second quarter. And then the third quarter, the team Durant came out, looked like they were going to start hot. And then LeBron's team just closed it out and won that quarter. And then it was just like, ah, this got done. Um, the Elam ending doesn't really have the same kind of punch when one team is up by a wide margin of double digits. So, you know, it was fun. It's it's kind of what you expect from an all-star game. You would hope that these quarter-by-quarter quarter where they're playing for a charity would get them to play a little bit harder. But once again, I mean, it turned into a three-point shooting contest. Defense was kind of thrown out the window, as it should be. You don't, you're not trying to hurt anybody. I think there was only nine free throws shot during the game. You know, everybody's just there to have a good time. Uh, I do love the friendship between Giannis and Jokic. Had no idea. But those two were having a boatload of fun. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it was good to see, like, first-time guys out there and Zach and uh, Jalen Brown, Bradley Beal, Mike Conley. Um, well, Brad Beal, this wasn't his first, but um, other first-time guys are guys that you don't normally see out there having fun, you know, just asserting themselves, wanting to prove the fact that they deserve to be there. Uh, you know, certain certain uh, fan bases were up in arms that that like say Mike Conley got the nod. It's like I, you know, instead of DeRozan, um, sure, you, you totally can. Utah, after going on that skid right before the All Star break, they're only two and a half games now up on uh, second place. So it's not like they were before that that three-game skid. I think they lost three out of four. Um, you can make a much better case that they, if any team deserves to have three representatives, it's them. Um, but, you know, it happens every year. Even if they expanded the rosters to 15 instead of 12, there's going to be fan bases that are upset that they're, they don't have a guy representing their team. And that's understandable, but there is a limitation. It's like when, when LeBron, after the initial results were revealed and was like, Oh, D book is the most disrespected player in the league. 
So it's easy to take that stance. Who are you taking off this team? Who are you going to disrespect by saying Booker deserves it over you? So, you know, I understand what you're saying, but but simultaneously, it's like, I, I, you know, it's an all-star game. I think All-NBA is the bigger one that you should really pay attention to uh, as far as respect of the league and who the best players genuinely are. Because in no world should Luca have started this year over Dane. But it's a popularity contest. So he got more votes. Ergo, he gets the start. I'm not saying Luca was undeserving of the all-star nod. Uh, so I think the most exciting thing of the day was, you know, easily the three-point contest. Say like Mike Conley's got the lead. Curry gets hot. Really needs that final rack. Cements it. Takes it home entertaining by uh, you know polar contrast the dunk contest was utterly underwhelming um you know the ob topping between the legs as they pointed out levine did it in the layup line and actually did it better uh and kind of undercut that the Simon's kiss the rim. It was all right. Like it was a, a whole bunch of all rights. I can't believe Cassius Stanley on his, you know, final dunk just did that kind of mundane middle of the road. He jumped really high, but you're trying to prove your bona fides. You're the least known competitor here. I personally did not know you. Um, so you would think that he would have had all kinds of things in his chamber, just ready, locked and loaded, going, I need to prove myself, elevate my name, show the world who I am. Um, but it was, you know, he, perhaps he comes back next year. This year's was supremely underwhelming. Aaron Gordon has better misses than those than all those makes. I was underwhelmed by every single one of those dunks. And, uh, you know, I, I like that they sped up the format and they also took D Wade's bullshit out of the equation uh, because last year fixing it for Derek Jones Jr. As much as is it's a dunk contest and who really cares? The guy deserves to have at least one belt. Uh, and personally, I think he beat Levine when they went, you know, head to head before uh, he had, two dunks, but the one in particular where he went into a seated position, jumping over the mascot is one of like top, top two, top three dunks in the dunk contest of all time. That alone, it should have been a Vince Carter. It's over. It's just, it's over. And they all, they just end it right there and be like, there it is. I'm done. Um, so Johnny shoemaker, um, Says over the side, the rules of the fourth quarter hurt this game for sure, but last year made it incredible. I agree. They just needed to be a little bit closer than the Elam ending is a boatload of fun. Um, and Jake Cleveland asks, why do you think the Jazz don't get respect? Uh, I think it's a function of it's a team, not an individual. As much as Donovan Mitchell is their alpha, Every other team has like a clear, every other team in title contention, let's put it that way, has a clear 
super duper star. Yeah, I mean, if you go right down the standings, starting in the East, Philadelphia, you got Embiid, and at the two, they've got Simmons. But Embiid is number one in MVP odds right now at plus 200. I think LeBron's at plus 225. Um, so Embiid has overtaken the Vegas odds right now, but they got a superstar. Brooklyn, they've got, personally, I think two true superstars and one right on the cusp in Kyrie. Milwaukee, you got Giannis. Um, Boston, I, I don't know that, you know, you could tell me that Tatum is better. Um, his season thus far has not been but his potential is just at his size, his, his overall, what his ability could be. Um, and then after that in the East, it's like, oh, okay, they can match up with any of those, but they're in the West. So you got the Suns, the Suns, you can make a case D Booker or Donovan Mitchell. Um, or, you know, uh, Chris Paul, but then after that, you got the Lakers and you got two superstars there. The Clippers, you've got one true superstar and one like right on the cusp and Paul George. Portland, you got Dame. Denver, you got Jokic. Uh, Dallas, you got Luka. Golden State, you got Steph. But they're all, we all agree, they're supreme number one talents. And Mitchell, I think, has a chance. But I don't know if I put him in the same category as a bunch of those other guys. So because of that, they get they don't get as much respect when it comes to All Star because people look at it and think of it as a team. It looks like a, a Bootenholzer's Atlanta team, um, or a lot of people making comparisons to um, the mid two thousand Spurs when they have an aging Tim Duncan, and then it's a collection of great guys around him and Ginobili and Parker and a young Kawhi Leonard and a young Danny Green. Um, but it's a collection of really interesting parts that all work well together. So I think they get knocked for being an excellent team, not a true superstar and then a team built around them. But I mean, like those uh, Spurs teams, you can win a championship like that. It is entirely possible. So Perhaps they'll ultimately be the ones that are laughing at all the rest of us. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So the All-Star game was fine. Um, you know, it wasn't near as entertaining as last year's, but that's going to happen. Hopefully that doesn't uh, push them to deviate from the elimination because I think more often than not, we would get games that are much closer. I also think uh, Durant being out and Embiid being out really affected Team Durant. Uh, it would have been a more interesting game had those two been on Durant's team because now you've got to contend with Embiid riding high, one to cement and put his stamp on the league and saying, I'm the best player. And, uh, you know, Durant being motivated to, uh, to, to win, to be the GM, so to speak, that wins. Um, and also wanting to prove that he's back as well, just consistently wanting to elevate his name back into the discussion for best player uh, in the league and best player, and by default then, best player in the world. Um, so I think it, it could have been much 
different. But that being said, like it was fun, you know, interesting to see. And I much prefer the drafting format because you get combinations of teammates that when you do the polarity of East versus West, you're never going to see. You're never going to see, you know, what certain combinations are going to look like. And it's fun. It's a, they'd be like being a fly on the wall in the off season when you hear about the pickup games that they run, especially here in LA where, oh, today was six, you know, all NBA guys, eight all-stars. We had a couple of potential draft picks, like a, a lottery draft picks, and then a collection of other dudes who are, you know, G leaguers or, uh, international players, like guys that played college ball here, but now play internationally type of thing. And just to see all these different matchups and whatnot that you wouldn't get to see in the regular season. I think that's, what's fun about the drafting, the various combinations that pop up. But I think that's why we kind of tune in. It's like, Oh, what is, what is this starting five look like versus that one? It creates the hypothetical situations that you can conjure up once you get out of the rigid format of East versus West. Um, so I don't, I can't imagine that they would deviate after just two years of the Elam ending, uh, especially when last year's was so wildly entertaining. Uh, and this year's hopefully is just the fluke within this process of you have to win every quarter and then it's the set score to close out. Um, but now that leads us into, we've had a break. And we're going into the second half of the season and what that means for teams uh, coming up. So I've got all kinds of different, uh, you know, sheets open. I've got my notes. I've got basketball reference. I got some website called Tankathon, uh, cleaning the glass. Like I ran through uh, all the numbers. Sorry, my. Norton antivirus just turned on for some reason when I didn't ask it to. And it's trying to run a scan in the middle of all this. Uh, right when I was. All right, here we go. Let's try this again. Don't do that again, Norton. There's nothing wrong with my computer. You son of a bitch. Um, all right. So by. If you look at strict the schedule from the first half of the season and how that basically creates a lay of the land and helps understand your perspective of how well teams have fared and what their strength of schedule looks like going forward. Um, so I'll give you a quick rundown. The Mavs, according to basketball reference, had the hardest schedule in the first half of the season, followed by the Kings, Pistons, Jazz, Cavs, Heat, Thunder, Pelicans, uh, Celtics, and T-Wolves. And at the bottom, we'll do bottom 10. The easiest schedules were the Hornets, the Sixers, the uh, Nets, Raptors, Blazers, Lakers, Spurs, Magic, Bulls, Rockets, and Knicks. Right? So the easiest Schedules going forward. Utah flips from the fourth hardest to they have the easiest schedule going forward. Dallas flips from the first hardest 
to the second easiest. Brooklyn has the third easiest. Miami is fourth easiest. Denver, fifth. Philly, sixth. Uh, Sacramento, seven. Golden State, eight. Atlanta, nine. The Wizards, ten. And then on the flip side of that, the hardest are Houston, San Antonio, Orlando, Minnesota, New York, Chicago, the Lakers, Toronto, Portland, and New Orleans. Now, the Lakers went from one of the easiest schedules um, to now one of the hardest. And if you go in, in like the last injury report I saw for Davis was a quote from Vogel that they expect him back sometime in March. Boy, that is nebulously defined. What does that mean? Is that the end of March? Is that the end of this week? Like, I don't know. I need to, to investigate further just because there's so much information to divvy up. You got to go through all the different schedules and see all the different teams. But the, So when the Lakers didn't have AD and Schroeder, Schroeder being out for COVID protocols, it, it basically it was LeBron, we need you to create all the offense for us. And the team stumbled. So getting Schroeder back helps stabilize that. But if AD is going to be out for another extended period, say say it goes two weeks and it's the end of March as opposed to being sooner, and they struggle at 500-ish during that run or go sub five, four and six, or some something along those lines, they win 40% as opposed to 50% of the games. They're going to tumble down the standings pretty quickly because when you look at the flip side of this with the easier schedules, you know, Utah already having had such a difficult schedule, now getting the easiest schedule should further cement them pushing forward. Dallas, who's slowly gotten their team back, having the second easiest schedule coming back, they can make a run up the standings. I mean, they're currently sitting in eighth position at 18 and 16, but they're four games back, four and a half games back of, say, the Lakers. They're four games back of the Clippers. If they want to get out of the play-in game, they're only two games back of Denver. But having the second easiest schedule of all 30 teams should really help push them so long as health maintains. But they've got all their guys, you know, by and large back, and they're playing much better as opposed to the start of the season when it was, Luca, we need you to do everything. Much like the Lakers fell into it with LeBron and AD and Schroeder being out. It's like, we need you to do everything, and the defense knows it. And that's really difficult. Um I think the most interesting is, so Golden State is sitting at 19 and 18. They're a half game back of Dallas, but if they want to get into Denver spot in sixth, uh, they're two and a half games back. So they have the seventh easiest schedule coming out of this. But what's interesting is, so they start off, their first three games are pretty brutal. They... They had a three-game losing streak as they went through basically a lot of the big teams in the East, and their first three games are against the Clippers, Jazz, and Lakers. But then after that, so if you subtract those three teams, they only play nine other teams out of their remaining 32 games uh, against squads that are above 500. So nine, uh, as it currently stands now, obviously things are going to shift, so that number is going to change. But if it maintains status quo, they only have to play nine 
teams above 500 after that opening slate of three games. So suddenly the pressure of, you know, Kerr the other day said, we just need anybody other than Steph to step up and score some points. If they can just get some consistency out of Wiggins and Ubre and Wiseman to slowly but surely mature even further into his role, they're going up against a lot of, you know, lesser competition so they can easily climb up in the rankings. And suddenly the Lakers hold looks all the more uh, tenuous. Uh, Portland has the ninth toughest schedule in the second half. And they're sitting at fifth position at 21 and 14, right? So it looks like it's going well, but will it maintain? Now they'll get McCollum back and they, in short order, they'll be getting Nurkic back. So they'll be rounding their team into full strength, but it's also when they have to go up against a whole bevy of really difficult uh, teams. So can they maintain? Will the getting those guys back um, be enough to weather the storm? They also were tied for the most back-to-back games in the second half with 10. They have 10 back-to-back games. Now, it's not near as bad as the Grizzlies and Spurs. They have to fit in the most games. They got 40 games apiece in this second half just because of COVID protocols. They've missed more games than everybody else. Most other teams have somewhere between like 34 to 36 games. So they have to squeeze in four to six more games than everybody else in this shortened amount of time. Um, But the Blazers still have a boatload of back-to-backs. And the Spurs now getting into the meat of their schedule, their point differential isn't so great that it would belie being able to weather the storm. It's much the same as uh, the Knicks. The Knicks go from one of the easiest schedules to one of the most difficult. They go from the easiest, rather, to the fifth most difficult. And their point differential is a sixth of a point. A sixth. So they're winning basically all the a bunch of the 50-50 games right now. They're taking home but they're also doing it against thus far the easiest competition that any team has faced. Will New York be able to maintain They're sitting in fifth position at 19 and 18? I don't really see that being the case and I'm not hating on the Knicks. I prefer when the Knicks are good because it's good for the league overall. More excitement in New York city just creates more buzz for the NBA as a whole. And it's better that way. Uh, Plus they've been so long suffering that they deserve it. Um, So yeah, I I worry about the Knicks. Whereas like the heat now getting in an easier schedule, they're sitting right below the Knicks and they're rounding into full health again and really starting to play heat basketball. They're also rumored you know, trade deadline is the 26th, I believe, or the 25th. Is it the 20, the 25th? It's the, it's the day after uh, I record the next time. And everybody assumes that teams are kind of going to be holding Pat until the final minute of the trade deadline 
because there's just such a quagmire in the middle of the standings in both conferences that you don't really know if you should be making a push to pick somebody up or shipping your season. It's really difficult right now. It's like, they get, will the Kings talk them in, themselves into, hey, we're not so far out of it. Uh, they're currently sitting three games, four games back of the 10th position in the playoff game. But I, I don't see a future in which they should really be adding much of anyone. That being said, they have the sixth easiest schedule. So what if they make a run? They start rounding into a form and they leap over like Memphis because of the sheer number of back-to-backs and fitting 40 games in um, or San Antonio's schedule getting more difficult and their point differential isn't so much that basically, you know, much like the Knicks isn't, doesn't really look like a good omen for them being able to hold off against all these other teams. So perhaps the Kings having the easier schedule and they've got firepower, man, but they also have assets that teams covet. If they wanted to get off Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes or uh, Bielitsa, like they can move Barnes and Bielitsa, no problem. I think Peeled in the right situation, they could definitely do. Um, so do you want to do that and just commit to to building around Fox and Halliburton? and figuring out what you've got amongst those two guys and subtract heel taking away time from that dynamic. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see at the end of this, but it's an interesting question that Kings organization and fans should be having with themselves, uh, you know, going forward. I'd be curious with various teams, like Washington has been playing better as of late, especially after, uh, you know, they had a come to Jesus moment as a team and sat down and said, all right, we need to define what exactly it is. Everybody on the squad does. Um, and since then, you know, the, like uh, Bradley Beal did an interview was either yesterday or the day before saying Russell Westbrook is the best teammate he's ever had. And it wasn't slander against John wall. I just think he really appreciates the professionalism and the tone that he helps to set and the expectations from the other teammates and the Wizards having an easier schedule, you know, usually when you create these super teams, and I, I realize it's a stretch to call them a super team, but when you add two guys of their caliber, it takes them a little while to gel and figure out exactly who they are, where they like the ball, how they complement one another. Um, so will they round into shape? It's conceivable. Like the the East is somewhat wide open. You know, as of right now, my Bulls sit in ninth position in the playoff game, but they've got a fairly difficult second half uh, schedule. The one advantage they've got is they have the most East heavy schedule of any other team, so it means slightly less travel. But the East as a as a whole is still the lesser conference. Um, it's not as massive as has been in years past, uh, especially if someone like the Wizards sitting at 14 and 20 surge or Atlanta also sitting at 16 and 20. Pardon me. Uh, the Wizards are 14 and 20. Atlanta's at 16 and 20. They have a fairly easy schedule in the second half. And if they surge, Pacers have a difficult second half. 
So so do uh, the Hornets. They've got a difficult second half. So do they they drop off a little bit? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We shall see. There's a you know a bunch of interesting questions, and then we have to get to the buyout market and potential trades. You know, Cleveland is dead set on getting something for Andre Drummond, even if it's just a second round pick, because that's what they had to give up to get him in essence. Uh, but he's going to be somebody on the buyout market, unless they go the route of, they find a trade suitor for JaVale McGee, but he'll be joining some team. I mean, we just saw Blake Griffin join the nets and you know, he was asked whether or not any of the players reach out to him. And he's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, through a smile, he was like, no, no tampering happened. Once it was officially allowed, uh, guys reached out and uh, made the case for the Nets. But his rationale was they needed help with the four, and I can, actually, I can actually get some playing time, and this is a contending team, which is all true. Uh, I'll be curious to see how his knees hold up because he looks like a shell of his former self. Perhaps it was also motivation, knowing that Detroit's not going to go anywhere this year, and what is the motivation outside of pride to really will your team to a win night in, night out? Um, and for some guys, pride is all you need. You know, look at somebody like Westbrook. Westbrook, pride is his biggest motivating factor, I'd have to assume. Um, but will having a diminished role and not having the expectations of needing to be the number one option, although Jeremy Grant has become the number one option in Detroit, but you know what I mean. Having the reduced expectations, being paired with one of your buddies and DeAndre Jordan again. Um, will that lead to a rejuvenation, so to speak? And also, do, do does anybody think he might be able to crack some crunch time lineups? Like if you switch, you put Durant at the five, him at the four, and then you do the combination of Harden, Joe Harris, and Kyrie. That's pretty lethal. I don't know about that defense, but hypothetically they could score. Um, so yeah, I thought about doing like a trade show today and just forecasting where various teams, what they're looking to add and who might be out there. But I think because so many teams are going to be kind of, you know, holding their cards close to the vest for at least another week, that's my assumption. Um, it seems premature. And then uh, next week is a heads up. Uh, I've got former player Paul Shirley coming on. And maybe we'll get into uh, some of that. I'm, I've already started, like, formulating the the uh, topics and all that jazz for next week's show. And oh, by the way, we're starting that one at 1145 to better fit into his schedule. Uh, Cause otherwise he would have had to uh, leave early. So we're starting at 1145 instead of noon next week. Uh, so tune into that. Um, first former player I've had uh, beat writers and authors and Paul's also an author, uh, but this is our first former player. Um, I have feelers out to, a couple former players as well, uh, actual names that you know. Um, one I've uh, was friendly with at one point, 
friends is exceedingly strong to say, but hung out of his house a couple times. Uh, nice dude. Not going to say his name because if he's not going to come on, then what the, what's the point? I'm name dropping for no reason. <laughs> it just looked like an asshole. Uh, that's all right. But if I can figure it out, uh, I will. But anyway, Paul Shirley next week. But yeah, we can get into, you know, what what's it like to be around a team during trade season and all that jazz. But I just think it's it's a little bit early to be talking about that that now. But I'm more intrigued as to the questions for each team. In regards to trades, like, so Denver with having a, an easier schedule in the second half and Murray starting to play better each and every week, Michael Porter Jr., like their three-man numbers with them on court is pretty stellar. So a little bit more time. Um, will they make a move or will they stay in pat? I would assume at this point, unless they get really good offers, they stay in pat because I don't know that they're going to make Michael Porter Jr. available in any kind of trade discussion. So adding a big marquee name or, I don't know, doesn't really seem likely, but conservative might be the best approach because your schedule was so difficult in the first half of the season, uh, sitting actually Denver's was 17th. Wow. They lucked out 17th hardest schedule. And then they go to the fifth easiest schedule. That's not bad. It's not bad, but we'll having a slightly easier schedule basically get them to not feel the need to make a move, you know, so quickly. Um, also another thing in their advantage is they have the most home games in the West of any other team and playing a mile high is, uh, is no joke. So the extra conditioning that you have versus the teams coming in should benefit you. So having an easier schedule plus playing more games at home, being able to sleep in your bed, may not meet, need to make a big splashy move at the trade deadline. Uh, and everything will be kind of clicking at that point. But I'll be intrigued with the Nets to go back to them. The addition of Blake Griffin, I don't think that they're necessarily done. If there's another, if there's a center on the buyout market that they can pick up, they I think they would be wise to do it, to platoon minutes with uh, DeAndre Jordan. Just because long-term, I don't know in the playoffs if you're going to be able to get 35 minutes out of him night in, night out. Uh, so if you had somebody much like the Lakers did last year with uh, McGee and Howard, if you can platoon those guys with, like, I, I, I like the, if you can get JaVale McGee, but they don't really have much in the way of trade assets. And I don't think it'd be wise at this point to sacrifice even more to go out and get them. But same time, you know, Marks over there has done a really good job. And if they're reading the tea leaves and making a move right now makes the most sense and they can have this guy and really dramatically improve their playoff chances this year because they need to win a championship in the next two years or at the very least be at the, the top of contention. And I think they can do it this year. Um, their biggest hurdle is going to be Philly. And they don't have an answer for Embiid. Embiid is playing like an MVP. But once you get past that, it's like, yes, but, and Simmons can, you know, he's making a case for a defensive player of the year. You can choose one of three for him to be on. 
keep DeAndre in there and force Embiid to play him. And now you've got real matchup problems with one of the other two. Plus, you're then leaving Joe Harris, arguably the best shooter in the game this season, uh, wide open. And it's a pick-your-poison situation. And as good as Simmons is, they just have so much offensive firepower. Uh, Plus, at that point, having the easier schedule of the two teams, they could hypothetically supplant. That's not my much. Brooklyn has the third easiest schedule and Philly has the sixth easiest schedule, but they could supplant them. They're only a half game back of first place overall. The nets are. So if they have home court advantage, um, and by the time the playoffs roll around, it's looking more and more like there's a good chance that fans will be in the stands and will Philly revert to the problem that they had last year where they were one of the worst teams on the road? Like, hands down, historically bad. Or will the addition of Doc and a new philosophy, different players in there, and having a different identity all season just negate that fact and they're better on the road uh, this year? I mean... Technically, they're better. They're eight and nine on the road. Philly is uh, for the season, and sixteen and three at home. But once again, they're better at home. There's only Utah's better at home at fifteen and two overall. But of the top, you know, caliber teams, they're the worst on the road. Milwaukee's tied with them for eight and nine, but Milwaukee's also two games back. Um, and I think Milwaukee could easily have a surge in the second half once they get to full health and having Drew in there more and more and more, but they've got the 12th hardest schedule. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um, let's go over to the chat real quick and then we will close this out. So. Let's see. Ishmael says that the Heat, Jazz, and Nets should go up. And he can't believe that a 500 record in the East gets you the sixth seed, while in the West you don't even get in the play-in tournament. Welcome to the NBA for the past 21 to 22 years. The East has been historically weak over these past two decades. And sub now, I will say this much. In years past, the sub-fives have been egregious, and those teams I don't feel deserved uh, to make it this year because there's so much. I don't think it's as egregious this year. Like the Pacers sitting at 10th at 16 and 19, I still find them to be a very interesting team and can give fits to a lot of people. I mean, right now, Miles Turner's leading the league in blocks and TJ McConnell's leading the league in steals. And they also are missing Karis Levert and TJ Waring, two guys that they would they could desperately use to help score. And, you know, they're having to lean on Doug McDermott for more minutes than Doug McDermott more than likely was ever intended to play. They get those guys back. That's an interesting lethal team. My Bulls right above them at 16 and 18. Sub five by two games, true. But at the same time, like, it's a collection of very interesting players that can give a lot of teams a hell of a game night in, night out. The Raptors right above that, 17 and 19. It's the Raptors. 
The Hornets at 17 and 18 in the seventh position. They're a frisky team, man. So years past, it's been like, oh, man, I can't believe this dog shit squad is going to get in that I don't believe has a chance to win. Um, whereas this year, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know because in a month's time, that Pacers team could end up being in the seventh position. New York has dropped down. Miami is surging. Like Boston has seemed to have found its footing as of late, but what if they go into another little bit of a tailspin? Although getting Marcus Smart back is really going to help them because he helps give them a defensive identity and a spark that they need. He's their bulldog, and uh, you can see it when he's not out there and it's missing. Um, all right, let's go back to the chat. Um, Owen Hart says Miami will finish third or fourth. They're only a few games back and are easily the best team in that mix in the East. Totally good. Totally good. And I think being at full health again, you know, even missing Myers Leonard uh, and, and until after he's done his apology tour, but Jimmy being back, bam, at full health, like just having the health of the guys and their full squad. I think it's going to make a hell of a difference for Miami. It's going to be interesting to see how the second half shakes out because in no way do I think the standings really are indicative of the picture of what the either conference is right now, but especially I think in the East, uh, in the West, I think the top teams are the top teams. And then after that, there could be some shake up the Spurs dropping down just because their point differential, like I said earlier, is negligible. Here, I'll look it up right now. Um, their point differential is point one, and they have an 18 and 14 record. So a tenth of a point. And then they also have the second hardest schedule in the league. So I think the Spurs could easily drop down. The Mavs and Warriors surge. Memphis has to fit 40 games in that short amount of time, as do the Spurs. Uh, and they've got a ton of back-to-backs. Memphis also uh, suffers from, uh, I think they're a disadvantage on the back-to-backs as well, in that they play more teams on the second. Uh, hold on, I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. This this is riveting entertainment, isn't it? Just watching me scroll through uh, an article. Oh, well, screw it. I'm moving on. Um, let's see. Well, I think that's chat discussion. Johnny Shoemaker asked, do you see the Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, and Suns as the best four in the West? The Lakers, how long do they have to weather without AD? And can Denver climb up in the standings after that? Because um, hypothetically, even though the Lakers have two of the best 10 players in the league, I could easily see them dropping after this and Portland as well. And Denver climbing up, just given the ease of their schedule. And now if they can, you know, keep all their guys healthy. It's a lot of can these teams stay healthy. It's a lot of that jazz. Uh, and I don't say jazz meaning the jazz and saying jazz instead of, you know what I meant. 
Uh, Owen Hart said Tyler Hero and trade rumors. That seems like a bad move. Unless they get a godfather offer, I don't see them moving off of Tyler Hero, even though he's having an up-and-down season as of right now. It's a young guy that shows that kind of promise when he showed up that so tremendously in the playoffs and big moments last year, but that huge game against the Celtics. I just, you have to kick the tires on that longer before, unless, unless they just get the opportunity to get a true alpha. Um, you know, Bradley Beal becomes available and they're willing to make hero the centerpiece and Beal wants to stay there long-term and Jimmy Butler and Bam sign off on it type of deal. I wouldn't as of right now, even though hero's not having the best of seasons, but there's so much potential there that you, you just can't. And given the, the cheapness of his contract, it seems foolish. Um, Daniel Savas says good. Nick's team is good for the NBA. Preach it. Nost. Um, so D train asks if the Knicks end up at the four or five, do they have a chance to make the second round? Well, as it stands right now, you know, they'd be playing the Celtics hypothetically, but the Celtics have so much more playoff uh, history. Now, if the Celtics drop down, maybe it would really come down to matchups, but I don't see them staying in the 4-5. I think Nick's best-case scenario after the second half is going to be in the play-in game. Um, that point six point differential plus different difficult schedule you know, they've been getting a lot of the 50-50 games. They're only at 19 and 18 right now. They drop a couple games, then they're suddenly down to, you know, ninth. Uh, it's a completely different outlook for them. Let's see. We only got a couple more, and then we're going to close out. Uh, Timothy R. Williams says, I can see my sons playing the T-1000s, the Spurs again in the playoffs, and reviving a true NBA rivalry with at least in my family with me and my brother. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming your brother is the Spurs fan and you are the Suns fan. Well, rest assured, uh, your Suns team should win that series. Um, I would say four games to two, four games to one, something along those lines. I just don't know how they match up. Um, but I don't also, I'm not sure that the Spurs after the second half are going to be in anything better than the play-in game. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But they're hanging on by a thread as of right now with a record that does not really indicate what the numbers, you know, bear out. Uh, but there it is. There is your show for today. I'm going to call it right there. Thank you to everybody joining the chat, a lively chat today. Uh, please tune in in the chat uh, next week because all I'm sure you guys, like I do, have questions for. Uh, a guy that uh, played in the league. He also played internationally. He's written a couple of books about his experience. And uh, it should be interesting to get that kind of insight. Um, you know, I've only a handful of occasions gotten to to actually sit down and shoot the shit with, uh, with players. They've all been former players. I haven't spoken to anybody really that's current while they're still in the league. But it's interesting each and every time. Um, you know, I know that everybody that tunes in and listens to the show is a diehard fan like me. And I'm sure most of you like me also play basketball. And to think that any one of these guys 
you know, they're better than 99.9% of the people that ever pick up a basketball and to make it that far. And it's just, what is that experience like? What's it like to go through in high school and then to be recruited? And, um, you know, I think Paul was a walk-on and eventually making, making it to being a walk-on in college and making it to the league thereafter. Like that's crazy because as a walk-on, you're just like, I, I think I'm good enough to play D one basketball. I played at Iowa state, I believe. Um, and to make the jump thereafter, like it, I got questions for days. I, 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 you know, I'm sure he's got stories and, uh, I can't wait to hear them all. Um, so tune in next week. That'll be at, at 1145 instead of noon. Um, Ramon cook says, uh, I feel like such a fraud, nowhere near a diehard fan. Well, you're still tuning in. And I know that you're international, so you're following from afar. Uh, I try and get into a Premier League and Bundesliga and stuff like that from afar, but it's it's different when it dominates the sports culture in your area. And I'm not saying the NBA, NFL dominates here in the States, but the NBA is top of the mind awareness. And right now it is the talk of uh, any kind of sports talk radio. Um, so you're following from afar and you're educating yourself by listening to my dumbass, uh, and hopefully chatting with other people here and make a connection and, and Ramon, if you ever have questions and whatnot, I think the community as a whole is fairly educated and everybody uh, watches quite a bit. So ask away, you know, I would rather get more people watching the game and enjoying it as much as, as I do, uh, as opposed to hey, keeping people on the out or you just don't get it. Like I'd rather you understand it. Um, it's kind of like uh, that the NFTs that have popped off in the past week with all the NBA stuff. And it's like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, uh, is that some sort of a uh, uh, investment opportunity? And then the more I read about NFTs, it just seems like a, you know, a Holocaust on the environment. And I can't really get behind, even if it does make money, it's like, uh, this seems like such a bad idea all the way around. But I reached out to other people that I knew that were more learned in this, this, and they sent me articles and they weren't trying to influence me just like I wouldn't tell you, Ramon, Hey, you know, watch the bulls, like find a find a player that you like and begin there. Um, that's the easiest way. There's a, a gentleman on uh, Twitter I interact with where he just randomly chose the golden state warriors now, uh, because he liked Steph, just like, that's a great reason to, to pick any team. And just start following along. You might end up journeying from Golden State to another team because you're like, you know what? I love John Morant on Memphis, and it's kind of fun to get in early on a team. Uh, but just, just enjoy the ride. Uh, if you got questions, ask away. We as a community are here to help. And, uh, yeah, once again, tune in next week. Uh, if you guys want to be part of the chat, I will be looking to you for any questions that you have that I didn't think of or perspectives. Um, I think it'll be fun. And, and I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to, to do this. So please chime in. Um, cause I, yeah, I know I'm going to screw up and miss questions and I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Um, and hear his answers. So uh, that is it for today's Drop and Dimes. Uh, thank you to everybody that joined in the chat and for listened. Um, for
for listening, rather. Uh, you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. And I will be back once again next week at 1145 uh, a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Wednesday for a chat with uh, Paul Shirley, former NBA player. And uh, that is it for Dropping Dimes. Stay safe out there. I'll see you guys next week. And until then, adios. Thank you.